Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the show. It is an exciting day at the Bureau because after 138 days of not traveling to a Bureau event, we are back in action. And boy, not only am I excited, I think my family's probably glad that I'm on the road for a little while as well. Now we are in New York City at the Harvest Office where we are going to have two great days on forecasting, financial metrics, operations. It is a heck of an opportunity for the people that are gonna be there. And the beauty is, this is what the Bureau is all about learning and supporting each other. So I'm excited to be back in action. And today on the show, we've got somebody who's been around the Bureau from the beginning, Mr. Leslie Camacho. I've known Les since, wow, for at least 15 years. And he has done some amazing things and had some real challenges. And we're gonna talk through all of that. Also, have to thank our sponsors. First of all, MailChimp, thank you so much. You do so much for us. You do so much for the community. And MailChimp is the marketing platform. You have got to check them out. Also, Vogzi, when it comes to professional services automation, they are the best game in town. If you want to get everything you're doing automated and be able to see the metrics of what's working and what's not, check out Vogzi. Now, let's get on with our conversation with Leslie. I'm excited today. I'm excited almost every day. You know that if you listen to this. I start off every damn show that way. I'm excited, but I am excited to so calm down. Today, we have somebody who was in the room at the very first Bureau event. You probably heard me say it before, it was called Shop Talk, and then it became Owner Camp. And But this person was very influential also at the company that I ran, EngineWorks, because he was over at Ellis Lab working on Expression Engine. So we, we had this like back and forth, and then we end up sitting in a room together and teaching each other, learning from each other, all these things. Then he's gone on this crazy career path, done all these great things, and now he's the VP of Customer Services at Vogzi, one of the newest partners to the Bureau in the community. So it's like this great <laughs> coming around, and it's wonderful to have on the show today, Leslie Camacho. How's it going, Les? Hey, hi, Carl. Carl, <laughs> let me start by getting your name right. <laughs> no, you know, actually, it's fine because I'm just in some weird mood. So you call me whatever you want. I'm here. I'm good. Yeah, that sounds good. It, it is absolutely great to be here. Uh, and it it also feels a little bit strange because we've known each other, I don't know, 15 years. I was trying to figure this out, <sighs> uh, but it's been a long, long time. You, you've seen me at my worst. It, it, yes, and your best. <laughs> I think I may be able to say the same about me, but uh, no, but about you as well. It's like we, we've had this, uh, this great relationship over the years, and it's just fun to have you on the show today. So tell me a little bit about this new role at Vogzi. Like, I mean, we, we were hanging out at Owner Summit in Austin. Mm -hmm. That was the first time Vogzi came around. And then did y'all just meet there and the conversation started, or how did this whole thing go down? Uh, yes. So I... The way the way that it happened, just for uh, uh, full transparency and and just because I don't like stigmas around things, <laughs> I, I flew in Saturday morning to that owner summit, and I had actually just gotten let go from Pixel and Tonic the night before. 
Uh, the right. whole thing was like a huge shock to me. Um, and I saw part of that coming and then part of it, I didn't, uh, it, and we could do a whole show about that. So the short version is that, uh, it was absolutely the right decision. Uh, I'm friends with everyone there. There's no drama. Uh, and I, I'm thankful for the time there, but in terms of how I got started with Vogzy, once, um, what Pixel and Tonic did for me that I was re- very grateful for is they timed it so that I would be at Owner Summit. And originally, I was going to be at Owner Summit to represent Craft. And right. instead, they said, you go and go network and go be uh, with uh, this great community there. Um, and we really want to do everything you can. So they they actually paid for my entire weekend. Uh, they ah. kept the uh, corporate card active. And uh, it was really a godsend. Uh, and so... In the back of my mind, I'd always had this idea uh, for a consulting service based on the former consulting work that I'd done. Uh, But in order to pull off the consulting service, I needed a dashboard that showed financial information for an agency based on operations. So I didn't want something like a PL statement, but more things that related to like, how do I see and generate KPIs for companies, for agencies uh, to get them good data? And so I had no idea what I was looking for at that point. Uh, and it was really just raw in my head, just thinking about it um, in a more serious fashion. So that Saturday morning, I went to go to the first, uh, to the first owner summit uh, uh, talk. And outside, I took one look at Vogzi's screen because there was a couple guys uh, <laughs> Vogzi there. And in my brain, I just said, I got to talk to them after, you know, between breaks. So at it, uh, uh, during uh, one of the breaks, I went up and started talking to them, and I ended up talking with them for two hours. I, I skipped the next talk, and we just like really dug into what it meant to give agencies better decision-making data um, from the finance and operating side. And un- unknown to me at the time, the people I was talking to uh, was Mark, who's the CEO, and Leo, <laughs> who's the founder. <laughs> so I had- a couple of influential people at the exactly. company. Whatever. I, I, I had no idea. Uh, and so after Owner Summit, uh, Mark got in touch with me again. And we just kept talking for uh, a couple months. Uh, and we talked about taking some of the idea I had for the consulting and uh, c- combining that with what they want to do with the customer service that their software needs. Uh, because Vogsy software is, you know, ultimately it's about getting you good. I would call it operating financials uh, out of that and customer service on that end doesn't mean technical support, but it means like now I have all this data, what do I do with it? And that's where they wanted me to help out customers in there. Uh, And so after talking uh, with my wife, Laura, and getting some uh, opinion of uh, some really good friends of mine, and because they're a Dutch company and there's something I really like about the Dutch and all we have, <laughs> uh, they're just sort of a straightforwardness to the Dutch that is awesome. Um, you you rarely have to wonder about where you stand. And even when they're upset about something, it rarely impacts the personal side of things. Uh, at least that's been my experience. Uh, and so when they made me uh, an offer, uh, they basically said, 
you can hire us as your clients or we can bring you on board uh, full time with us. And here's what we need. And after we talked about uh, the requirements, uh, it was one of those things where I would regret not just joining up and seeing what we can do together. So that is the, uh, uh, that is the shorter version uh, of that story. I got fired. I started looking to how immediately my brain went, I got to figure out how to help agencies and get paid for it. And I talked someone's ear off about uh, operations and customer success. And then I got a job. <laughs> well, there you go. And you know, and that, that is such a bureau story yep. that you end up out of what you thought was going to be your career for a while. And then you walk into the next phase, right? And, and you hear that all the time from people leaving one bureau shop to another bureau shop, or it could be uh, mergers. It could be, we have all these things that are going on, which is just so much fun. But you mentioned something that I really want to hit on for a second, and that's KPIs. And we hear KPIs circle around the Bureau all the time. And we've got almost 3,000 uh, digital shops in the Bureau now. Mm -hmm. And as I watch these conversations, not all talking at once, that would be a disaster. Uh, but, but as I watch these conversations, there is a newer shop mentality where people are a little more business focused. Like shops that came out, I would say, oh, 2015 and on, um, they have this mentality of shops being a business. But then you see shops like when I started mine and a lot that were in that like late 90s, early 2000s, we were, we were craftspeople and we're, we're building things that are amazing. And the idea of being business, we thought we were anti-establishment, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the thing is, a lot of those people are super smart business people. They're running great companies today. And a lot of the people who just started are also running great companies and building great stuff. But for those of us that were in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think KPIs are tough. Like we want them, but we don't know how to get started on them. And it's just, it's just a challenge. So as, as you've gone through thinking about it, getting on with Vogsy now, like how do you recommend that shops get started with KPIs? So just to start with the definition in case someone listening is really, really new, KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator. And that's really just a fancy business way of saying, is something going good, sort of blah or bad? And having something uh, solid to measure against there. So in terms of getting started, if, if you are a services shop uh, and you're not starting with anything, what I recommend doing is starting with figuring out what your revenue per project is. Uh, because that is often what can make or break a shop. And it's directly related to the quality of work that you can provide uh, it, there. Because if you're not making money on the project, you're not going to have the client for long. And of course, as budgets get tighter, the quality of work drops dramatically. Right. Um, or someone's going to lose a lot of money. Uh, and normally that's the shop. And that's that's something I see very well-meaning, uh, super smart and extremely skilled shops do when they're 
when they're just getting into that point where they're working with clients they really want to impress, where they their business practices in the past have been enough to pay the bills and grow, but then they hit like their first big contract, whatever that might mean, hmm. or brand that they really want to get invested in, regardless of whether the brand is big or not, but it's the brand that your heart says, this aligns with the thing that I really want to do with this agency uh, that I built. And uh, it's not uncommon at that point to overinvest. And the issue that I typically see is not necessarily that a shop overinvests, but they don't know how they're overinvesting and they don't know by how much and they don't know how that impacts everything else. And so being able to track a project's revenue uh, in close to real time and then using that to make good decisions so you can see what the impact's going to be and plan and adjust for it uh, and uh, and basically see that business data like this can be a tool that you can use to do better work. It doesn't have to be translated into a cold, hard spreadsheet of, no, you have to stop doing quality work or you have to go <laughs> on your client for more money. But it can really just be a factor of if you want to keep doing this work uh, and pay your employees and uh, keep a roof over your head, then something has to uh, change. And you can start thinking through options before there's a real financial problem, uh, which is usually after, you know, three or four weeks of going over budget is usually really terrible, especially if you're in a growth phase uh, there, because you probably have concurrent projects at that point. And that's where it can just sneak up on you because you can be losing a little bit in each and then a lot in one, and then it can quickly be overwhelming. So if you're not using any particular KPI, uh, KPIs at the moment outside of maybe your PNL sheet, uh, getting a you know getting your head wrapped around on whether a project is profitable or not and trying to track that in real time is where I recommend uh, shop starting. Yeah, and I think one of the toughest things is feeling like suddenly you're going to expose all of your weaknesses <laughs> to yourself first of all and your team because you've never done this before. So it's almost like going to the doctor when you're not sure if anything's wrong. You know, is this just the way it is? Because you hear people talk about service shops all the time and they're like, well, this is just the nature of the business, right? And I don't think it has to be anymore. It's, it's like you see shops that are super well-organized. They have their operations down. They have their sales down and they seem to weather every storm I hear about so it, it just feels like the idea of adding a layer of business intelligence, right, mm -hmm. on top of the work versus saying, I've solved it. We just have to do crappy work and we'll get through <laughs> and everything will be yeah, fine exactly. and we'll live for two months. Um, yeah. so, so what are some of the KPIs that people should pay attention to in your experience? Because you've done some research on this, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I've helped consult on this and figure it out. And the... Kind of the new thing for me is approaching KPIs from the financial standpoint first, because I come from an operations background and a leadership background where I'm looking right. at big pictures or more like delivery workflow, uh, which I also really love. And here I'm trying to pull those things together uh, to understand project KPIs. So if you, um, the reason I like project KPIs as a starting point too, aside from uh, aside from not losing money on projects is generally a good thing. The work that you have to do to get a project KPI 
can you can then leverage into other good business data with very little effort relative to getting the first one in. And usually the obstacle is getting people to record their time consistently. Uh, I, I have yet to meet you know, people that really love timesheets. I certainly don't like timesheets. Uh, it's one of those things where people, uh, people will do all sorts of things to have, uh, to avoid recording time and make a bunch of, uh, different ways around it. Some more successful than others. But at the end of the day, if you're doing time and materials, value pricing, fixed pricing, uh, you need timesheets because you need to know your cost. Uh, and, once you have your cost, then you can take your sales, uh, you, you know what your sales are going to be, and then you have a really loose, nitty-gritty way to calculate your margin on a project. And so once you're tracking uh, your costs in terms of time, that's the hardest part culturally most of the time. Because even if you're already tracking time, it could be that you have to switch products or you have to track time in a different way, or you have to uh, track time daily instead of just weekly, or maybe you want people to use a timer versus just taking guesses. And so there can be all these little cultural implications and that's where it can feel like uh, you're working for the man and you've become the thing that you wanted to avoid <laughs> in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. And so the trick is to just give yourself some time and uh, time and leeway to really work with uh, your team so that tracking time is anchored to a better life for, for your shop and your clients uh, as an outcome. Because uh, once you have that, it, everything else you're probably already doing. And then you can just begin to categorize your costs. So you can track, you know, if you're already tracking time, then you can uh, start tracking revenue for your lines of service, for example. So you can track, you know, is development, uh, how, what, what is the revenue like on my development versus design versus branding versus copywriting versus content strategy. Uh, and that's all just a factor of it usually tags in a spreadsheet or in a software application of some sort. And then you have another really good way of looking at potential profitability or lack thereof in projects because now you know lines of service in terms of whether they are um, profitable for the shop. And, and again, going back to the idea of turning a profit doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. Uh, uh, certainly you want profit, but it's okay for some lines of uh, service to be break even because you make the bulk of your revenue elsewhere. So you're not trying to make a moral judgment of any sort, so to speak, from all this data. What you want to do is understand the reality that your shop is actually working in. And then you decide, does that reflect the type of shop you want to build and what adjustments you need to make in order to continue to grow and pay the bills? So the data doesn't tell you what to do. The data just helps you make better decisions that can line up with uh, you know, who you want to be as you go. So when, when we start looking at this, it, it is one of those things. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that know me know this. I, I hate spreadsheets. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, I wanted to do the t-shirt. I hate spreadsheets, but then everybody's like, I love spreadsheets. Why do you hate them? I'm like, Oh, you kill me now. Um, so I could even feel it when you were just mentioning this, like tracking time was never that big of a, of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were pretty good at it because we always made sure that the people knew that when you put your time down, it's not a judgment on you. It's a judgment on us. 
like how well did we do? So we need this so that we can get better. And all those things that a lot of shops do that, that explain that. But when I start hearing about the data and watching it and paying attention to it, that's when I start to zone out a little. So when you see shops that are successful in establishing and maintaining these KPIs, what's the type of person either based on the role or based on, based on their psychological profile or whatever that can take this and make it successful? Because I think a lot of times if the founder tries it, it just falls apart. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I, my, as I see shops grow, I, there's usually a project manager that loves data more than they like managing projects. Uh, having all the communication and planning and on that side of things where they prefer then to take that information and help people make good decisions. And the people I see that help shops uh, successfully implement uh, KPIs tend to be enablers. They tend to be really good communicators and um, they don't necessarily need to be math or even spreadsheet uh uh, experts, but it's more like they like organizing things and condensing and summarizing information uh, for people. Because even if you're using a software package that automates a lot of this, uh, or whether you're using uh, like a Rob Har style spreadsheet or some combination thereof, once you have that information again, you still need someone that can help you think about it and detach it and uh, detach it from personal stress or am I going to have to fire someone or or to have a positive statement then the question like what if you're doing really well and this shows you how well you're doing and then you have to go into you know like how do bonuses work how do raises work how do I apply this newfound uh, wealth and grow in a responsible strategic ambitious fashion whatever that looks like so good news can often be just as uh, anxiety inducing for the founder as bad absolutely. News. Uh, it, like it's it's one of those things that that's another conversation because what happens as soon as you find like at some point in your career uh, as a founder like five thousand feels like a tremendous amount of money I can't believe anyone paid me five thousand to do this thing and that number just escalates over time then it's like fifteen thousand then it's fifty thousand then oh my god a hundred and fifty thousand yeah somewhere in there you realize how little money that actually is. And uh, I still remember one of the owner camps uh, I went to where one of the owners said, I tell people I'm a founder of a business and they think, man, you must be really successful. In the back of my head, all I can think is we're rich, we're poor, we're rich, we're poor, we're rich. <laughs> <laughs> and so going back to that, like, who is the ideal person to help? It's someone that can, that you really trust to be a sounding board for the data uh, and who you feel um, confident enough that they like the double check. Because whether you're doing an automated system or spreadsheets, the thing is that data has to be good. Uh, and especially if you're tying multiple systems together. Uh, so you may have like 10 spreadsheets uh, or one Google sheet with you know 20 different tabs or Airtable or Notion or you know a solution like Vogsy or whatever else in there. There's someone that has to pull that thing and make sure that system's working. Uh, and they have to enjoy that part of it and enjoy making sure there's integrity to it. But they should also be able to help you think through what you should be able to do with this information. So as the founder, you may have a vision. Uh, and, not, and, I, and I don't mean like the businessy 
vision statement thing. I just mean, this feels right. I want this agency to go in this direction. And then this person is the enabler that says, okay, if you want A, here are all the options to get you there based on what we know. So how do you feel about um, this versus that? And so the best operations and senior PMs really help it break down to the founder. So as much as possible, they are making yes, no decisions. Uh, And sparking a curiosity of what's possible with the information giving them versus going through it themselves because those are two separate processes and there are certainly lots of owners capable of doing both uh, but when owners time gets stressed they try to do both at the same time and that's where i think a lot of um, the mistakes happen uh, when the owner does it themselves is because they try to put that vision process with the collecting the data, analyzing the data, and trying to think through, is this good, bad, ugly, or what does this mean? All in the same process as determining the vision for the company. And you put all those anxieties and financials uh, and complications together when they should be two different brains or two different timeframes to spread those processes apart. And uh, to kind of back off the business languages, just give yourself some time to breathe. Like, here's the data, take a weekend, you know, do something that gets you out of your head and then come back and try to apply it later uh, versus, hey, let's try to tackle this all Monday afternoon. <laughs> well, yeah. And so what you just said, I think that was great. And this is something that, that I heard at owner camp as well is there's now, there's near and there's far. Mm-hmm. And one person cannot do all three. And with yeah. what you're with you're talking about with the KPIs, that's now and near, right? But but most founders with that vision are looking far. Yes, they're, they're trying yeah. to get so that so. In my experience, and I would say from some conversations I've had, that's part of what really gets frustrating if you got the wrong person doing it because they're like, and then we will climb the mount. What do you mean we don't have enough bread? I don't know. We're climbing the mountain and you're telling me that we're running out of, I don't care about water. We're climbing the mountain, you know? And so it's that thing where it's like, people don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish. They keep telling me how we're falling apart today. I'm telling them we're going to succeed tomorrow. So it's like that to me makes so much sense that you have a different person doing it. And and I'm wondering with your new role as this VP of customer services, how much are you actually working with new uh, clients at Vogsy? And helping them figure out how they're going to run things. Uh, daily. I mean, that's one of the reasons I said yes to this uh, role is because, um, you know, we take someone through a sales process, help evaluate if the software itself is going to be useful to them. And if they say yes, uh, we make the assumption that just giving someone financial uh, software is going to change very little uh, because the other thing is that when people really start to take the idea of uh, business intelligence and KPIs, uh, there's usually something ambitious that they want to accomplish or something critical. And so it usually signals that there's going to be a cultural change of some sort um, or that they're going through a pivot or a transition. And and sometimes they know it and sometimes they don't. Uh, so when... Vogue gets implemented, we want to be really serious about being there for our customers on the other side of things in a real way. So like, for example, I spent an hour and a half this morning 
uh, helping brainstorm a way to rethink billing for one of my customers on the West Coast. Uh, and they were having an issue where they have some contractors and they want to transition those contractors, some of them into W-2 employees and smooth out billing. And then they have retainers. And then the owner has uh, these other things uh, that the owner wants to do versus what ops has to do. And my <laughs> role in all that is not to be the consultant that tells them what the right move is, because I, I don't know. Right. Um, but what I can do is go into their install, see their setup, look at the data, talk through at a very high level, and provide that aspect of I've been there to some extent. Uh, you know, I've, I've made the mistakes. I can be um, that calm in the center of the storm. And oftentimes that outside voice uh, is what they need to get the spark started. Because the person I was working with is a very accomplished COO. Uh, and just as capable helping me as I am providing customer service to her. But it goes back to the idea of it's so hard to do it for yourself in the moment. Absolutely. On the service side of stuff, we want to really acknowledge that, especially since we want to work with a lot of shops that are um, in a growth or transition stage. And so it's a way for us to acknowledge that there's going to be a cultural impact. Uh, and the support side and customer success side can't just be about technical and feature set and ease of use, although all those things are critical. There's also the thing of this is a major thing. You're replacing a lot of systems in there. And uh, that's what one of the things we really want to take seriously is that very uh, direct uh, human touch and understanding um, uh, that also goes back to that uh, like a friend of mine would describe it as you have to have a lot of humility when you're going in to help someone uh, because if you don't have humility about it, they're unlikely to show humility <laughs> and then barely end up talking about what's important. Uh, and so that's one of the things that they want me to help figure out and how do we replicate. And, you know, I, I am at an individual level. I'm really good at talking to a stranger that runs a business and 10 minutes later we can be working on their life secrets because I'm a really open person, uh, but can you scale that? Should you scale that? How do you design a system where um, there's good boundaries in place and then you begin to communicate that trustworthiness that it's not just about software, but it's about outcomes? Um, and you know, if you're using financial software and your financial outcomes aren't getting better, uh, then we're not doing our jobs. <laughs> and and that's not like a promise on the website, so to speak, but internally it's how we think about it. Right. Uh, and, and so that's a really long answer to your questions of, yes, I work directly one-on-one with CEOs, CFOs, COOs, senior PMs to try to figure out workflows, billing, whatever they want to throw at me. Um, if I don't know an answer, I will try to go pull my network, find it. It's got a very, I would say, bureau-like uh, ethos to it. Um, which is another reason that I said yes to working there. Um, I, I went, checked him out, spent some time in Amsterdam with the team and walked away knowing that, you know, the, these were my people, so to speak. Could, could you hear me rolling my eyes when you said spend some time in Amsterdam? You I know. know I, as I, I was do. Support for work. <laughs> I to Amsterdam with 10 days with my wife while ah. I at summer camp with the grandparents. It was... It was challenging, Carl, really challenging. Very difficult. Well, Leslie, I'm so happy for you, man. And you know everything you just described, the passion and the way you're saying it, it's obviously you have landed in a great place. Yeah, and, I, thank you. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm just glad that the bureau, on some level, helped facilitate this for you, right? It's like the these events and these people and the people that we're attracting. I mean, from the Netherlands, right? <laughs> Have Fogsy contact us about coming into North America. I mean, it's just amazing. So, dude, I'm so glad you were on the show today, and thanks so much for sharing what's going on. Yeah, you're very very welcome. Thank you for having me. You got it. Everybody listening, thank you so much. And we'll be back next week. All the best.